0: Get lit! Welcome back to Get Lit, the literary podcast where we discuss famous works of literature and the authors that wrote them. I'm your host, Steph Spars, here with my young charge, young Jonathan.
1: Yes, John's tricker here, young Jonathan at your service.
0: (laughs) It just feels right for this week's episode. Um, That's going to take us back quite quite a few decades.
1: How exciting! it is (laughs) um by the way just a side note i have someone who uh is at my work and they listen to this podcast and they now call me young jonathan (laughs) only it wasn't the original person you were talking about either stephanie so thank you for (laughs) for, like spreading that out through my workplace i'll be known as young jonathan from here on out
0: you're welcome yeah thank you it's a gift that keeps on giving what can i say (laughs) Mm -hmm. thank you (laughs) Um, Yes, we will be discussing this week the other Hawthorne and probably the more well known Hawthorne um, Nathaniel this week. Um, But we had such a blast recording last week's episode about Hazel Hawthorne and have gotten some like beautifully supportive and positive feedback. So thank you to everybody who listened to that one. Um, It's definitely one of my favorite to date. I just it was just such a cool experience to be able to put that together.
1: Anytime we can talk to an expert, it's really enlightening, but mm-hmm. like an expert specifically on something that's so meaningful to you specifically, it was yeah. really cool.
0: It was a lot of fun. Um, so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, go ahead and feel free to um, take a listen. We would love to hear your thoughts on it. Um Speaking of your thoughts, we would also love to hear your thoughts um, about our upcoming Get Lit Live in February. Um, We are so excited to be doing the Bronte Sisters and would love to know if you're going to be able to join us. So feel free to reach out in some way, shape or form and let us know. uh, And we'll send out details about that. But I think it'll be a really fantastic and fun. I'm excited. I think it'll be a lot of fun.
1: It's going to be perfect for Valentine's Day. There's Mm -hmm. going to be light refreshments. There's going to be talk Mm -hmm. of authors. Really, what more can you want from a February weekend? Nothing. Nothing. It's a perfect (laughs) February weekend. perfect February weekend. We hope to see you there.
0: Um, And we will, of course, play some games uh, and have a lot of trivia and things involved. So um, I think those are only two little announcements for now. (laughs) With that being said, I think it is time to turn our attention to Salem, Massachusetts. So you better believe there are going to be witches in this episode, which I am so excited about. The Sanderson sisters? Pretty much. (laughs) Nathaniel Hawthorne was born July 4th. 1804 in Salem, Massachusetts.
1: That's Independence Day, Stephanie. That
0: is Independence Day. Only 28 years after Independence Day itself was established. Look at that. Look at that. Um, he is a cancer, um, which I could definitely see. He he has a lot of emotional tendencies mm. and sort of, a, I, I would say, a conscientiousness Um about him that would make him indicative of a cancer. Hmm. Um, but uh, back to Salem, mm. my favorite part of this entire thing. Um, he's actually very, uh, his family legacy is very entrenched in American history and is particularly a Puritan legacy. So, an early ancestor of his, William Hathorne, this will come back later.
1: Hathorne, not yep, Hawthorne. No W. That okay. comes back
0: later um emigrated from england to america in 1630 and became a judge and his son john hathorne was one of the three judges during the salem witch trials no way yes the very same which is cool because if anyone has ever read the crucible You'll know that ha- Hathorne is a, like literally one of the judge characters, which is exciting to me um, yeah. because he was significant enough in the witch trial history to be commemorated. Interesting. Um, yeah, so he is very related to the Salem witch trials, which is really cool. Um, as a result of his connection to this sort of highly Puritan American history, he adds a W to his name to distance himself from that side of the family. Really? Yes, he did not want to be recognized because, it, you know, again, we're still not that far removed from that piece of history. Yeah. So it was something, I guess, that he thought would have a significant impact on his life and as a result...
1: And there's no Google, so, like, in. just add a letter and no one will right?
0: know. No one knows. Except we do. We now. do.
1: <laughs> Sorry, Nathaniel.
0: Um. So he is the only son of Nathaniel and Elizabeth... Hathorn. Um, he has two sisters, and uh, it's just the three of them. His father, who was a sea captain, died in 1808 from yellow fever while oh. he was at sea. So, this is when Nathaniel's only four years old. Um, and as a result, the family moves in with Elizabeth's wealthy brothers. So, he lives and kind of grows up with his uncles. <clears throat> Um, He's playing cricket, um, and at an early age, I think it was around 13, he winds up being immobile for several months, healing from this leg injury. Oh, no. But this is what helps him develop his passion for reading um, and really inspires him to become a writer. So, yeah, I'm really sorry about your leg. However, it's really... You know, it spawned a
1: literary giant.
0: Yes, what a um, silver lining yeah. in that moment. Huh. Um, so his uncles, who have a ton of money, help send him to Bowdoin College. It's coming back home of the
1: uh, polar bears. Good
0: job, the yes. polar bears. Um, and he attends Bowden from eighteen twenty-one to eighteen twenty-five, which is where he meets one Henry Wadsworth Longfellow.
1: Oh, neat.
0: Yes. And um, an alleged future president, Franklin Pierce. (laughs) Can't verify that information. Please help
1: me, listeners. (laughs) Text or tweet, uh, Franklin Pierce is a president. Fine. I'm
0: sure he is. Whatever. (laughs) Um, So he doesn't like the actual uh, academics of college and rather prefers to hang out with his friends and discuss literary things. Um, But he's also really homesick for his mother and his two sisters. And so after he graduates, he goes back um, to live with them for 12 years, actually. And these 12 years, he turns into sort of a recluse. Um, the, there are a couple of scholars and articles that I was reading that called them his attic years cause he just like stayed in an attic
1: oh, for 12 years. ATTIC. Yes. yes. I heard attic. N- like what? Uh, a drug addict. 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 Right. Oh. You
0: live in an attic and you have an, you, like, you are an Addict.
1: Thank you. Did you just learn something new? I didn't really know that they I knew they sounded different, but oh god, that's okay. all.
0: I'm glad that we can illuminate these things on this podcast. People are learning.
1: Thank you, Stephanie.
0: He lived in an attic. <laughs> and um, at this time, this is sort of an interesting cultural piece of history. Most books sold in America were either imported from England, so they were written by Charles Diggins, you know, British authors and things like that, and brought over from the States, or they were just stolen from other sources. So there was very little original American writing going on during this time. Um, and in 1828, this is just after he adds the W to his adult name, he tries to publish a book. He writes um, a gothic romance called Fanshaw, and it gets some praise, but he recognized kind of immediately that it wasn't the best work he could have ever produced. So he actually denies even to the end of his life, writing it. Whoa. His sisters both knew, and so later the truth comes out, but he literally just denied that he wrote it at all, which wow. is kind of interesting. Um, so I'm assuming he must have published it like anonymously just to see how things would go. Got it. But he distanced himself a lot from that. Um, he starts to write short stories instead um, and publishes The Hollow of the Three Hills and An Old Woman's Tale, and by 1832, he's written some of his more famous works, um, My Kinsman Major Molineux and Roger Malvin's Burial, hmm. which I haven't really heard of. No, I've never that's heard okay. of those. Um, in 1837, he writes Twice Told Tales. Um, that's like what great
1: alliteration. Yeah. It's Twice Told, told Tales. Tale. Nice hard tease.
0: That's a good, maybe that'll be a tongue twister in my acting class. Um, So Hawthorne needs to kind of figure out how to support himself. His writing is getting him some money, but not a whole lot. So he becomes the editor of the American Magazine of Useful and Entertaining Knowledge.
1: At least it's really concise, that title, you know?
0: Um, Well, he takes it because he could make $500 for it, and, you know, who cares? Right.
1: Was it a high-class novel? Like, it Um, just was what it sounded like. Yeah, just about
0: entertaining. It was very entertaining. Um, And unfortunately, between these two things, he wasn't really able to support himself. So he works for the Boston Custom House and weighs salt and coal. So a little bit of a change from his imaginative writing. And um he ends his seclusion at home kind of around this time as well and meets a woman named Sophia Peabody. Um or Peabody, but I like Peabody as a pronunciation better. Oh. So we're gonna go with that one. Um she is a painter and an illustrator, and they fall in love oh. um Moleane Cole. No! Um, Hawthorne knew Sophia's sister from running in the same sort of um, intellectual circles, and then they meet, which is kind of cool. That is cool. However, Sophia is pretty ill, and as a result of her sickness, they kind of have to postpone their marriage for a while. Um, And as a result of this... They are engaged for several years <laughs> before they can actually get married. Wow! Um, in April 1841, he invests a thousand dollars. He gets fifteen thousand. Sorry. He gets $1,500 from the Boston Custom House and invests 1000 of it, so two-thirds of it, into Brook Farm.
1: Oh, um, no. I don't know
0: if you, yeah, I was like, I don't know how much you remember from Brook Farm, but um, Brook Farm is the u- transcendentalist utopia that Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau were kind of involved in creating it only lasted if i recall correctly 7 months before it collapsed
1: yeah and um, they weren't the main people who started it but they no, both but like they were henry both never participants n- yes but they neither neither of them actually lived there but they right. both supported it
0: right and um so hawthorne didn't really love transcendentalism but he found that living on the commune could save him money so
1: (laughs) i guess that's a good reason to join
0: the commune to save money
1: i don't know i'm just wary of the word commune
0: Mm -hmm. well anywho it worked out well so um in 1842 um, on July 9th, he and Sophie are able to get married, which is very nice. And then they settle in Concord, Massachusetts and rent Old Manse, which is the um, property that Emerson's relatives... Built and then he would later own. Hmm. And so this is where we see him crossing circles with Thoreau and Emerson, the Alcott's, Bronson, Louisa May, etc. And during his time living here, he was really productive. Uh, he produced 20 manuscripts during the course of his time there, including the Birthmark and Rappuccini's Daughter, which are both very famous. Hmm. Um, both very good. Uh, they actually kind of focus on the plight of women. Which his most famous and iconic novel, The Scarlet Letter, which we'll get to later, does as well.
1: Do you think it's because he had such a strong like attachment to his two sisters and his mother with like no father at home? Right? I think
0: that's a great theory yeah. as to why a female protagonist might make more sense to him. Yeah. Um so yeah, I don't I don't know exactly why, but I, I have a feeling that academics have probably speculated quite heavily on that. Yeah.
1: How interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, So he and um, his wife have three children. In 1844, they have their daughter Una, um, and then they will have a son named Julian and a daughter named Rose later down the line. And this was sort of interesting tidbit. When I was doing research about Hawthorne, his daughter Rose initially wanted to be an author, but eventually got married and converted to Roman Catholicism, which the Hawthorns were not. We're all like Puritan. So she converts. Um, But unfortunately, her son and her husband both die. Her son is only five when he dies. I'm not exactly sure how they did. So she, Rose, moves into a tenement in New York City and then begins to nurse cancer patients incurable cancer patients and then she joins a religious order and becomes a nun um mother mary alfonso and in 1900 she founds the dominican sisters of hawthorne to continue her work with these cancer patients and in 2003 she actually gets nominated for sainthood so that's cool she's obviously dead by that time
1: well you can only become a saint after you're dead really for the most part yeah oh
0: but not always
1: i think there's been like one or two exceptions. Okay. Ever.
0: Ever. So she gets nominated to become a Good saint. Good for Which is her. kind of cool. You know, like,
1: did she make it or was she just nominated? I
0: don't know. I could look that we'll up. We'll have to look we up. We will consult.
1: For Saint Hawthorne perhaps. I just think
0: it's very funny that the legacy of the Hawthorne family is Puritan that her father tried to escape and then she goes, turns Catholic. Yeah. And then becomes a literal like saint basically. Wow. <laughs> like how much would her Puritan ancestors be like rolling over in their graves. Yes. about that. Wow. Um, I just thought that was kind of a cool sidebar. Um, But back to Nathaniel. Um, He is acquiring a lot of debt from doing all this writing and not making a ton of money. So they move back to Salem, um, still in Massachusetts. And Hawthorne was a lifelong Democrat. And actually, it's his political connections that help him get a job as a surveyor in the Salem Custom House.
1: Should we make the comment now that Democrat in the past isn't the same as Democrat today? There you go. So Hawthorne
0: is a Democrat, different than today's Democrats, to be precise. Um, And he works at the Salem Custom House. And this provides some financial security for his family, which is very helpful. However, allegedly, some other guy named Zachary Taylor gets elected president. Couldn't tell you anything about him, though. (laughs) Um, he was a parent. He was a Whig. Part of yeah. a Whig party. The
1: Whig party. Yeah. I sure.
0: When I was doing that, I literally sort of just assumed that that was only a British thing. I mean, I, I obviously there are ties. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the politics of this time are something that are incredibly influential in Hawthorne's life. So I was like, oh, that was interesting. <laughs> um, so Zachary Taylor. No air
1: quotes, yeah. Stephanie. He's real. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Zachary Taylor gets elected. Oh, my God. And um, because Hawthorne is a Democrat, he actually loses his appointment because of the politics, which I thought was pretty interesting.
1: As a surveyor. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, that's the person who settles land disputes. So, like, it's a real big it's That a could big make thing. a big
0: difference yeah. if your families are arguing and fighting over whose right. land is whose. So this, however, turns out to be another silver lining moment because after he loses that position, he sits down to write a little novel called The Scarlet Letter, Never heard um, of it. which talks about um, the clashes over Puritan moral law, right? Which makes complete sense based on his history. And initially, the first run of the, the copies is 2,500. So they sell out in 10 days (laughs) in, in literally the 1800s. That's crazy. 2,500 copies, 10 days. Wow. It's insane. Um, This was one of the first mass produced publications in the United States. And this distribution really solidifies his standing as um, a famous American writer. Uh, So Hawthorne doesn't love living in Salem because of the Puritan associations and affiliations that it has. And so they move to Red House, which is in Lenox, Massachusetts. And this is actually where he meets one Herman Melville, who wrote Moby Dick. Um, And when Moby Dick is published in November of 1851... Melville actually dedicates it to Hawthorne with admiration for his genius. Wow. Um, Their friendship is intense but brief, and um, I think they kind of fed off of one another because um, he also, during this time, Hawthorne produces The House of Seven Gables and Blythedale Romance and Tanglewood Tales, which he is all um, known for as well. Um, During the 1852 election... Hawthorne writes a campaign biography for his good old friend, Pierce, <laughs> the president, eh, whatever. Um, so he does wind up getting elected president. And <laughs> no air
1: quotes.
0: <laughs> as a result, um, he actually appoints Hawthorne to be the American Council in Britain. Wow. Um, As a reward for his biography writing. And so the Hawthorne family, he brings his wife and the kids over to England from 1853 to 1857. So the four years of the presidency. And um, this actually helps inspire his novel, Our Old Home. And with the money that he earns from being the council, Hawthorne takes his family on an extended vacation to Italy. What a nice time that was. Um, His wife, who loves art, is an illustrator, really appreciated the art. And Hawthorne's journals have actually been discovered with every piece of art that he saw and the notes that he took about them from that time, which I think is pretty remarkable. I'd love to see that. Um, So in November of 1858, um, Una gets really sick with malaria, um, and that takes her six months to get over and she never fully recovers but she gets well enough um, that they will then wind up going back to the united states and in 1860 he finishes the marble fawn his last novel Um, and they settle in wayside in concord massachusetts that's the name of their house Uh, however over the next several years he will start but never finish any other work his health really starts to deteriorate um, he experiences symptoms of kind of confusion, being slow of thought, um, and he refuses to seek any medical attention or help of any kind. Oh man! Um, so Franklin Pierce, after he finishes his presidency, <laughs> um, decides that he needs to help his friend Nathaniel Hawthorne. So in May of 1864, they both leave Boston to take a leisurely trip through New Hampshire to try to help make him better. Um, Unfortunately, though, he dies in his sleep while they are traveling. Um, And he is buried in Plymouth, New Hampshire, um, for four days. And then they take him out and they put him in Concord Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, which is where we saw his grave. Right. Right. So I just thought that was kind of interesting that he wound up getting buried for four days.
1: (laughs) Oh, why would they do that?
0: I don't know. I wonder... Well, so the thing that I'm kind of thinking of is when Authors Ridge might have been created. So yeah. listeners, when John and I went to our town trip over the summer, we stopped by that cemetery to see the the Alcott's grave and Thoreau and Emerson's graves and things like that. And Hawthorne is buried there too. Um, and it's a very old cemetery, but I'm wondering when Authors Ridge was established as a place. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't think it was in the four days between him dying, but... I don't know. I thought that might be kind of interesting is when when they decided to to move him to Authors Ridge and make it official. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So that is um, the sort of fun, fun life of Nathaniel Hawthorne. I don't know. I would
1: Eventful.
0: Say interesting, storied. Yeah. He's um, a
1: diplomat. He
0: knew a lot of presidents Yeah. or some some. Important political figures, or something like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and had the opportunity to do a lot of traveling. But I think um, when we think about The Scarlet Letter, the idea that one of the earliest and most famous novels in United States history is about a woman who does something that society does not agree with, gets branded for it, but then kind of demonstrates the hypocrisy of Puritan law is remarkable. I mean, to think about, I, I don't think people, when they think about the Scarlet Letter, automatically think about the context that it sits in. But, like, what an interesting commentary that that makes about what America was allowing to be published and printed and established as part of our literary history. Um, I just, I thought that was really, you know, I didn't really think about it until I started sitting down and typing in yeah. my notes. But, Good point. Yeah.
1: The fact, I mean, it's it's scandalous at the heart of it.
0: Yeah, it's scandalous, but also in, in some ways it's kind of like um, taking apart societal expectations yeah. for what women were to, to do or what they were not to do. And although you know our protagonist, Hester, winds up in a less than ideal situation, there's a certain power to her that I don't think you can really deny that right. is important to acknowledge and I think establishes something of a voice for women in some ways even though it's written from the from by a man but right I think... and I
1: mean the 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 fact that the antagonist mm-hmm. is been punished or like is held to account for the action is
0: the worst is the worst
1: right <laughs> it's but so annoying. like <laughs> the fact that they they call the they call them out on it
0: mm-hmm. yeah right
1: and and it, it shows that you can't just get away with heresy being rude and being rude
0: (laughs) being rude um yeah i i agree so i guess um not to not to discount thank you nathaniel hawthorne for kind of planting those seeds early in american history um and you know, don't know that I'd credit him with inspiring movements, but um, definitely an interesting thing. I think that can add some layers of depth to anybody who's reading The Scarlet Letter. So students, if you're reading Scarlet Letter in school right now, um, let me know what your teachers are doing. What kind of conversations are you having around this text? Um, Are you reading it as a piece of American literary history? Are you reading it for its literary merit or any number of those combinations uh we would love to hear about it i think i i unfortunately don't get to teach um that text right now but i would love to hear what you're doing with it so um that's nathaniel hawthorne for you
1: that's really cool yeah can i say one fact that just stuck out with me sure the fact that he would go and see art and then take like notes in the margins of his notebook yeah like Nerd, absolute <laughs> nerd. Oh, I mean, oh. I say that as I literally shuffle like, through the notes that I've written about <laughs> about Nathaniel famous thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like. What an interesting! I'd like to do that next time I go mm-hmm. to an art exhibit. Like, take a little notebook and write down my thoughts while I'm looking at the the, the pictures.
0: Great! That'll be our a led field trip. Let's
1: That'll arrange
0: be. an art institute trip. <gasps> Let's look at the context of art in literature. Yes. Okay. New of project. Gray. What? Portrait during well, gray. Well, yeah, I know that, but like, is the actual at a the art
1: institute?
0: It is. Is there? Yeah. Oh.
1: Not like like it was made no, for who a painted movie. it of the picture of Dorian Gray
0: oh but who, who who painted it
1: I don't remember who oh, painted well, it We'll look
0: it up well <laughs> perhaps we'll take a trip to the Art Institute of Chicago for any of you in the Midwest dying to go on a literary companion trip that sounds like a lot of fun it does stay tuned stay tuned <laughs> for that um, and thank you as always for your support we have an absolute blast doing this podcast and C- clearly creating new things kind of on the fly as we go um that you have all wholeheartedly embraced and generously supported and we really appreciate that so thank you for that support and for always keeping
1: it lit there's one thing I-